Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 47 of a series of episodes that we're calling Leading Others to Christ. Those of you that have been listening and watching, you know that during these episodes, we're going to be focused on the topic of evangelism. One of our goals, and we have several, uh, is, is to stir us up, if you will, to stir us up to love and good works, especially in the area of reaching our family or friends and neighbors with the gospel of Christ. My name is Dan Barker, and I preach for the Creekside Church of Christ in Franklin, Indiana, uh, where I also serve as one of the shepherds. Uh, if you don't know, Franklin's about 20 miles south of downtown Indianapolis, Indiana. Those of you that know me, uh, you know that I'm passionate about our topic today, evangelism, and I have been ever since I obeyed the gospel when I was 21 years old in Owensboro, Kentucky. And ever since then, I've been striving to, uh, to learn more about this um, and striving to teach others, uh, using some Bible phrases, striving to, uh, to sow the seed, to be a fisher of men and obviously women, to make disciples, uh, to persuade men and women, as Paul talked about, and also to teach others to teach, remembering what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, and the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then also later in that same chapter, he's talking to Timothy about being useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So last year, with all this COVID nonsense started, I came up with this idea of trying to identify the Christians out there, the men, women, fellow workers, uh, preachers, elders, deacons, members of a congregation, uh, to find out those that are involved in evangelism and identify them uh, and, do, and do an interview like we're going to today and find out who they are, where they are, how they're doing their work and all that. So we're really excited today uh, to have with us somebody that we're going to learn a lot from. We've got with us Brother Dick Blackford. Welcome, Dick. Thank you, Danny. Good to be with you. Yeah, yeah. See, you can tell those of you that, you, you know, that they don't hear Danny very much, but that, that's who I was growing up. Uh, I was Dickie. And you were Dickie. That's right. So uh, I don't know if that may, we, you know, sometimes I think it will be go back to our old name. It sounds good to hear Danny there. I like that. Um but we're uh, so excited, Dick, that you took the time to do this today. And uh, Dick's from, uh, uh, well, originally from Owensboro, but uh, he's preaching in uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas, uh, where he works with the Stone Ridge Church of Christ. And uh, we're, we're, again, and before I forget, Gay told me to tell you hi. And also be sure and give Kathy a hug for us. Okay. I will. Tell okay. Gay hi. Okay, I will. You know, we start these out, Dick, with uh, uh, what we call like the old elevator pitch. You know, it's like you get in an, on an elevator and it's 12, you're going up to the 20th uh, floor, let's say. And uh, I'm on the elevator there and I say, hey, how are you? And you say, fine. I say, hey, what do you do for a living? Or, Who are you? What do you do? So you got like that elevator pitch. So if you would give us a quick Give everybody a quick bio of a little bit about who Dick Blackford is, where you were born, uh, how you learned the truth. Kind of bring us up to speed, Dick. Well, okay, Danny. I was born in Toledo, Ohio during World War II, right in the middle of it. Um, my parents in the middle of the night had to go to the hospital. Dad was speeding. Policeman stopped him and 
uh, getting stopped by the police stopped, started early in my life. Uh, that was the first time. <laughs> we'll talk about any of the others. But uh, I grew up mostly in Kentucky. We moved back to Kentucky when I was about five and went to school there around Owensboro in the country schools and finally the city schools. And after going to Western Kentucky University and Florida College, and uh, I think I went one year to Kentucky Wesleyan also. And um, uh, I began preaching, been preaching now for 55 years. Wow, 55 years. Um, you know, it's, um, I don't think I'd ever heard you were born in Ohio. So I, I learned something there. Uh, but I, we have to do this. I don't know how old we were, but I, I got to tell the story because you're, I'm set, I just turned 75. You're what, 78? 77, be 78 next month. Next month. All right. Well, early happy birthday. But we first met, I don't know how, you, you have any idea how we were? You were our paper boy. So we were in yeah. our young teens or maybe earlier than that. Yeah, let's see. That was 1963 through about, well, no, I'm, I'm later than that. In 1959 through 61, I was a paper boy. So somewhere in there, so we would have been about, uh, I would have been about 17, 16, 17. Yeah, yeah. I was you were a little bit younger. Yeah, a little bit younger. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I never will forget the first time I went with Gay to the Southside Church of Christ there in Owensboro. And I look over there and there's our paper boy. I said, what is, what's up with this? <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, who would have thought that, right? But there were others there that I saw too that I knew uh, from in town. And that, that really impressed me. But you know, um, uh, you know, Dick, it's 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 interesting. Uh, uh, these interviews we've had and, and I'm so glad that I have known you for so long. And it's great. It, isn't it awful, though, that we haven't been able to keep in touch? I mean, maybe yeah. we can maybe we can work on that here. But uh, I've met so many people like this. I haven't met them in person yet. But uh, I know I told you this the other day, but uh, every time I think of the Blackfords, I think of your mom and dad. Lyle and Gene Blackford, and how much they helped Danny Barker when he first became a Christian there in Owensboro, and uh, how much they encouraged Gay and I, and uh, I will always remember that. I mean, it's it just, and that's the type of thing that we're supposed to do, but uh, I love hearing your dad tell the story about one time I was teasing him, or he probably brought it up, but because he had hair kind of like mine, but he, he stole it. I said, you're not supposed to steal you're stealing hair from one side of your head and trying to cover up the other. <laughs> you sure did. But, had to cover up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, well, listen, tell us a little bit about the, the group there uh, at Stone Ridge, if you would. Okay, this congregation has been in existence since the 1960s. Uh, I've known of it for some time. I've held a couple of meetings here before I ever moved here to work. And at that time, I had no idea I would be working here, but I've now been here 14 years. We built a new building about five years ago. Uh, when I came 14 years ago, the attendance was running in the 60s. And we've had a good group of people working together. Hasn't been, a, by any means, a, a one-person effort. And we're probably about three times that now. We were before COVID hit. We were running around 185 or so. Uh, we're about 75% back up to what we were before COVID, but a uh, uh, good group of people here. We've got some good elders, and they've always been supportive. And anything that I have needed, they've never said no. And uh, 
pay anything. They're willing to spend the money on the Lord's work, and I appreciate that. And they're willing for me to participate in uh, all kinds of endeavors like that. Uh, so we're on Airport Road in Jonesboro. And if you're ever in this area, we'd be glad to have you come and visit with us. Well, uh, thanks for that. Um, yeah, it's um, uh, so many things. It's, it's funny when I do these, but especially thinking about you and my mind just kind of spinning with all the different connections and that, that our time will get away from us. But, you know, um, it's just several things you said there. They're so important. The support of the elders, uh, the support of the congregation. Uh, I remember... Uh, uh, Max Dawson, I think he was the one, I think you said you knew Max uh, from Texas, yeah. but uh, I think he used the phrase that evangelism was in uh, the Dallin Rhodes DNA. It was just a part of the group. And, uh, and uh, I think that it has to be done at Dick. It, it has sure. to be. Go ahead. And we have some, some young families here, young couples, uh, some newlyweds that are very evangelistic and they're getting studies with people and, or else bringing them to me. And, and so it's a good combination of people and haven't been any problems. I have to knock on wood sometimes because we've avoided the problems that a lot of congregations get into. And so from that standpoint, it's been a good work. And uh, I, of course, appreciate the support of all the members here. Well, it's, um, you know, I'm, of course, you know, with my coaching background, I use the word team a lot, but it, it really is uh, the body. Our body works the way God made us and, and the congregation, the, the, the way the church is supposed to work, the way Jesus said what he had in mind is everybody working together as a team. And it's like you said, they bring studies, they bring set up studies and bring them to you. Let, let's go there a little bit. Do you have a particular study that you use? Is there one particular one that's kind of that you modified or designed that you uh, that you like to use when you sit down with somebody? Basically, I do, but sometimes I have to try to tailor make it depending on the person I'm studying with, what their background is, and how much knowledge they may already have. I'm finding more and more over the years that having to go back to basics, even to why we believe in God. I had a study with a student here. This this is the home of Arkansas State University. So we have several students. And we had a boy that came about five years ago and he was an agnostic. Uh, a girl brought him to church, wasn't his girlfriend, they're just friends. And we got a study with him and he ended up obeying the gospel and he's really been zealous ever since then. He went on to receive the highest award that any student can receive at Arkansas State University, and he was the only student on the podium when he graduated to speak to the audience. And wow. uh, he has really come a long way. And of course, I had to tailor make my studies for him since he was coming from a background that uh, most of the people I study with don't have because sometimes it's hard to get agnostics to study with you. But uh, so I had to begin with him on why we believe in God. But uh, most of the people, I assume they have some Bible background. But I try to give them a, a general layout of the Bible so that they won't think it's just a confused uh, set of books that are unrelated and show that actually it's very well organized. And uh, beginning at Genesis, we have the first messianic promise prophecy. And you can follow that prophecy all the way through the Old Testament till it gets to Jesus. So they're kind of impressed with that, that for 20 generations or 40 generations, rather, 
for 2,000 years, um, a son was born and grew to manhood and had a son who was born and grew to manhood until Jesus came. And that's kind of unusual for that to happen because uh, promise was made to Abraham. But when we think of Abraham Lincoln, his genealogy was wiped out in two generations. And this one went on in the Bible, went on for 40. So uh, uh, some evidence is there to give them confidence in the Bible. So those are some of the things I began with. And then authority. Yes. Yeah. Authority is, is so important. But yeah, just just something as simple as what you just said there, the 40 uh, uh, generations and comparing it to Abraham is things like that, that that I've, I have found that help people think. It's, it, it just, I hadn't thought about that. You're right. Just to get people to think and, and to look at the at the evidence, if you will, and to recognize the authority. You know, I, I've asked this to several people and uh uh, I've got some notes here, and I'm going to ask Dick. Of all the things that you could have done growing up, and I don't know what if when you were little, somebody said, "Dicky, what do you want to, what do you want to be when, what are you going to do when you grow up?" Remember when they used to do that? What are you going to be when you grow yes. up? Yeah. Why did you decide to do what you're doing? Why is Dick Blackford so passionate about leading others to Christ? Well, you mentioned earlier my parents. Uh, my dad, mother was the student. She was educated. She was a valedictorian in her high school class, small class out of West Louisville. But uh, dad only had about a seventh grade education, so he wasn't that knowledgeable, but he was very zealous. And he used to keep a bunch of tracks up over the sun visor in the car. And when I'd ride in the car with him, he would always stop in a grocery store or a gas station or something. And he'd grab some of those tracks and go in there and hand them out and talk to people and invite them to come to services. He used to aggravate me at the time because I didn't understand the importance of what he did. I was just in a hurry to get somewhere. Sure. And home, it wasn't anything momentous was going to happen. I just wanted to go. And, uh, but at the time, I got aggravated. But now I look back and see what an important thing that was and what an example it was. And his zeal for inviting people to services kind of was the main thing that happened. Of course, we used to have a lot of preachers visiting our home and that had an influence on me too. They were coming up from David Lipscomb College at the time and and uh, I enjoyed being with them and hearing them talk. And I guess that's kind of basically how I got started. But you did mention something earlier. You mentioned 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. Um, in the Great Commission, we kind of have the same thing. There are two teachings in the Great Commission, go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. The second teaching, and that second teaching means we teach them to do what we did initially, to teach them and then obey the gospel. And so it's an ongoing thing, kind of like a snowball going downhill. And the more people involved in it, the better it is. You know, it's, uh, yeah, that's so good. Um, not not to be negative, uh, just this has just come out through, like I said, 47 interviews. I can't believe we've done 47 already. <laughs> but, um, you know, you look at all the stats out there, Dick, and uh, congregations are closing around the country, uh, just dying out. Uh, congregations are shrinking. You mentioned uh, the growth that you guys have had there and, and this COVID has affected everybody some in, in, in various ways. Um, what would you think, why, 
why aren't all Christians on fire? Why aren't all Christians stirred up to share what they know about Christ? Do you have any thoughts on that? Is there something happened? Have we not been teaching it enough? Or, is it, or do we not get it at times? Or what do you, why do we get, some people get hot, then they get cold. And what do you think? Well, there is kind of that uh, life is not going to be a, a mountaintop experience all the way through. There are going to be some valleys, but um, I, I'm familiar with what you're talking about of people who have lost their enthusiasm. But a lot of times it's a matter of faith. We lose faith in the power of the word. And a lot of times it just becomes words on a page. But uh, those words are so important that by believing the written word, you can have life. Uh, John said in John 20, verses 30 and 31. So it's not that we have to see miracles. But when we think of how powerful that word is, both written and spoken, it was so powerful that when God said, let there be light, there was. And when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, he did from the grave. And uh, when he said, peace, be still, he calmed the storm. Think of how powerful that word is. The gospel is the most powerful thing we have today. And it always has been since uh, Christ was on the earth. And we lose faith in the power of it. It's so powerful that if we obey it, we can be forgiven of our sins when we obey the gospel. So it's powerful all the way through, and it's God's dynamite. And the word power is from the word, we get our word dynamite. So, so it's very powerful, and we need to have more faith in that. And we need more teaching on it. So I, I'm sure we don't teach on it enough. Well, you're right. The, the power, and, and I've said before, I've got, let's take a copy of it. We talk about how powerful this book is, and and we have them laying, we go to services, we have them laying in our lap. Occasionally, preacher Dick says, turn to a passage, and we, some turn and look at it and read it. Uh, uh, and we talk about how powerful it is, and so many don't even, uh, don't even read it, don't open it up. But we don't realize what a gift this is, that we even have it. Uh, yeah, you just made me think of that, of just of how powerful God's word is. Um, you know, the... Um, is there anyone, I mean, you talked about your mom and dad, and, and, and I certainly appreciate them and love them. Uh, is there any, been anybody else that you'd like to mention in your life that's maybe been a mentor, or somebody that you really learned from and, and helped you along in your work? Uh, well, early on, uh, a preacher, you may remember him, Tom Hickey. Did you ever know him? I met Tom, yes. Yes, uh, he, he did early on. Uh, Got me interested. He was really quite a Bible student. I'll never live up to what he was as a student, but uh, he helped me a lot uh, getting started and encouraged me. And uh, uh, that that was very important to me. But uh, uh, can't think of one person in particular. There's been a lot of influence in my life that uh, uh, I'd like to be able to mention. But uh, no, no, that. Well, you know, you know how important, uh, you know, the Bible talks about Barnabas uh, and being uh, the encourager that he was. But we all need to be encouraged. Uh, uh, this has encouraged me today that you agreed to do the interview. And uh, it, it's great seeing you. Uh, but don't, we need that, don't we? We need to have Barnabases in our lives. Uh, and uh, we need to have Timothys in our life where we can do like Paul said, to teach Timothy so that he can teach others. And, uh, it's, it's a snowball, like you said. Uh, and then I think, too, one thing that I've seen is that it's contagious. You know, once you start doing this, 
and you see somebody obey the gospel, you know, just the joy that comes with that. And you go, wow. And you see that power at work. You want, you want to keep it going. Well, that's interesting. Uh, a lot of times when I've had uh, young men here that would study with somebody or bring them to me to study with them, uh, I would encourage them to do the baptizing rather than me do it because I thought it would really mean something to them. And I'd even give them uh, uh, baptismal certificates that they could fill out and give to the person that was baptized. And uh, I said, the reason I'm doing this is because when you do it once, there's something about it that makes you want to do it again. Yeah. So it'll be helpful to them. So and I think that's happened because we've had some young men here that have had some mul multiple baptisms. And uh, I've encouraged them to do the baptizing rather than have the preacher do it. And I think it helps. No, I think it helps a lot. And uh, yeah, just to be able to experience that whole process uh, is amazing. There was a reason, of course, we know the whole story, but after Stephen was killed and the Christians were scattered there from Jerusalem, I mean, they were on fire. Uh, even with all the persecution that was going on and the intimidation and everything, they were out trying to, not everybody, obviously, but it sure seems like a lot of them got it and, and they wanted to share. Well, they did. And I think there's a secret, well, not a secret, it's right there in the Bible in Acts, uh, what is it, chapter four, I guess, where after they appeared before the Sanhedrin, they prayed for boldness. Yes. And that's in verse 29, I believe. And two verses later, they got up and spoke boldly. So that prayer was answered really quick. And I think we need more boldness. And so far as getting Bible studies, uh, there's not any uh, deep, dark secret uh, for that. I've found that if you ask enough people, some of them will study the Bible with you. You may get a lot of uh, negative responses, but I try not to dwell on those. And even the parable of the sower, only one of the four was good soil and receptive to the word. So it's better not to dwell on the, the negatives of ones that don't study. But uh, I believe the Lord is teaching us there are people out there that will study. You've just got to seek them, seek the lost. And that's true. Seeking is part of it. We not only seek the Lord, but we seek the lost. Yes. Uh, you know, something we started saying uh, where I am is that to uh, we, we rejoice. You know, there's great joy when somebody obeys the gospel. But we've talked about celebrating the sowing yeah. to take have joy and to realize that if I'm doing that, God, God's going to give the increase anyway. And the numbers, if you will, will take care of themselves. Uh, if I, like you said, if you ask enough people there, you know, there'll be one out of three, one out of five, one, whatever it is. Uh, but uh, just to, the joy of knowing that you're doing what the Lord wants us to do, that I'm being useful by trying to share this with somebody. Um, and uh, so celebrate the sowing. I like that. Um, I do too. What, uh, thank you. Um, what uh, would you uh, share? It? I've, I've been calling them conversion story. I know you've got a lot of stories uh, and it's not fair really to narrow it down to one, but uh, what, what's one conversion story that comes to mind that you'd like to share with everyone? Well, I've thought about that. I guess nearly everywhere I've lived, there's been the one that stands out uh, more than others. When I first started, I was still in college at uh, Western Kentucky. When I started preaching uh, about 60 miles from there over in 
uh, Muhlenberg County. And the first person I baptized was in 1965. And he went on to preach the gospel and preach the gospel up. And of course, he was up in years. Uh, he eventually had to quit because of his age. And, and finally, he passed away. But he's the first one. Uh, some others, uh, I studied with a family here in Arkansas. Uh, this would have been back in the 70s. It was a black family, large family. There were 11 children. And they lived on what was called at that time a plantation. And they worked on the plantation. The father couldn't read, but the mother could. And got to study with them. And we sat in a little two-room building that had one light hanging down out of the ceiling, one bare light bulb. And wow. we got in a circle around that light bulb. And since the man didn't know me, I said, well, I don't want him to be in a position of having to decide whether he trusts me or not. So I would have his children do the reading of the scriptures when I would make a point. And I think that impressed him hearing his children read. And he and two of the older boys obeyed the gospel from that. And uh, that family all grew up and became successful. Another one that happened there, and this one's kind of interesting to me, uh, a man and his wife, and she was had a denominational background. His mother was had been a member, but he was going along with everything I was teaching, but she was arguing with me. And I was getting kind of depressed over that because every time I tried to make a point, she would argue with it. And I was really getting feeling low by the end of the studies. I think we studied for about five weeks, uh, once each week. When it got down to the end, she was ready to obey the gospel, and he wasn't. Wow. What in the world happened there? I totally misread that. But she was testing her beliefs. That's what she was doing. And when she was hearing these things be answered and seeing that her previous beliefs wouldn't wouldn't stand up, she was ready to obey the gospel. It was two or three months after that before he obeyed the gospel. So I decided it wasn't my job anyway to try to predict the outcome. It's just to sow the seed. <laughs> and let it fall where it may. That case uh, taught me a great lesson. We're not trying to predict what the outcome would be because you can get discouraged real quick if you allow that to happen. Well, yeah, you sure can. Um, but we all do it, don't we? It's like, oh, this, I think, I think he's getting it. I think she sees this or she, boy, that was a great question that she asked. And, uh, uh, you know, another thing that, uh, that I like to do is, um, uh, I brought this up several times and I, I do it personally, but uh, th- there's a lot of wisdom. Remember when Jesus sent out the, sent out the 12, two by two, sent out the 72 by two of, of working with someone. Uh, it'd be like if you and I were in the same area and, and, uh, and we, we would go out and work together. I, I just think there's so much power in that because if I, if I'm discouraged, you're there to lift me up and, after the study's over with, we go back out and get in the car and, and kind of rehearse what was said. And do you remember when they asked that question? And did, did we did he get it or did uh, don't you think that's true? It, it, the value of working with someone. I do. And we see that example, as you mentioned, I've I've done some uh, door knocking by myself, but it's sure a lot better when you got somebody with you. There, there's a housing area behind the building here and I've knocked on those doors uh, and invited them to the services. But uh, um, not knowing what would happen, but everybody was pretty nice to me. That I didn't have anybody uh, speak evil of what I was doing. Uh, there were a couple of more cases I wanted to mention before. Yes, absolutely. Another one, uh, when I lived in Muhlenberg County, uh, we had a radio program six days a week, 15 minutes every day. 
And there were three or four debates that came out of that, people challenging us. I didn't do the challenging. They challenged us. And one of them was because of a lady who had enrolled in the Bible correspondence course that we were advertising, and she obeyed the gospel. Eventually, her husband obeyed the gospel. Eventually, her children, three children, obeyed the gospel. And one of her children, which was a boy, he went on to become a gospel preacher. So uh, that's always been encouraging. And they're still faithful today. And that's been back in the 70s. So we're talking nearly 50 years. And another one was in Owensboro. Uh, Danny preached for about three months before I moved to Owensboro uh, the second time to, to preach at the West Side Church. And uh, he, he got the ball rolling there. And uh, we were meeting in a school building. And as soon as I got moved, before I got unpacked, uh, I ended up having a Bible study with a man that was a member of a denomination. And he ended up obeying the gospel. And later on, we could trace 11 conversions to him, uh, contacts that he had made. Uh, of course, one was his wife, one was his son, but then his son's friend obeyed the gospel. And then the son's friend's mother, we studied with her and she obeyed the gospel and ended up a few years later, we got to thinking about that. We could trace 11 conversions to him. And so I thought that was it. He's still faithful. Well, well, no, you know, Dick, the stories are so powerful. You know, I mean, if you look at the Bible, what, what is it? I mean, it's God put it. He told all these stories, right. Uh, and, and what we can learn from that. And, but to tell these, to, to me, it's just so motivating to hear that and realize just like that. I mean, not, and that's not going to happen with everybody that we teach uh, that 11 people, but that's what can happen. And, and when God's involved, we, we can't see, we, he sees things that we don't see, but, uh, but just to know that, that, that plant that one, see, like the one you were talking about, one of the four, you know, some are going to produce fruit 30, 60, hundred fold or whatever. We just, yeah. we just don't know what's going to happen. Well, that's, that's true. That's true. But uh, another thing I've found is to try to keep it simple. Yes. We're, somebody said we're drowning in a sea of words. And sometimes we can use too many words and people get discouraged and uh, get lost in all the verbiage. And so I try to keep it simple. Uh, just a quick example. Sometimes when we're studying people, it comes up, they want to say, well, baptism is a work of men and therefore we're not saved by works uh, paul said and i just try to quickly point out that baptism is called a birth in john chapter three and ask any mother who does the work when a birth takes place well it's the mother not the baby so yeah. if if it's a work it's not the work of the one being born and baptism is also a uh, burial in romans chapter six but ask any grave digger who does the work it's not the one being buried that does the work. So if it's work, it's not a work of the one being buried. And it's also a resurrection. We're raised to walk in newness of life. But when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he had to tell him, unbind him and let him loose. He couldn't even get out of the grave clothes. So it's a resurrection, but it's not a work of the person being resurrected. He doesn't do any of the work. So baptism is the thing that's least likely to be called a work because those are all things that we don't do for ourselves. We don't give ourselves birth. We don't bury ourselves and we don't resurrect ourselves. So it's not a work of the one being born or buried or resurrected. And that's kind of a simple way to explain that without getting into 
a whole lot of verbiage about works and faith and Romans. And a lot of times new, new people aren't ready for that. That is so good, Dick. I mean, that's worth the whole interview right there. That was really good. <laughs> I like that. Uh, uh, we, we end these interviews with what I call the one thing. So somebody's listening to this interview and, and you've got them stirred up and, and, in a positive way. And, and uh, they go, you know what? I want to I start doing this. Uh, I, I want to get involved in, in, in leading others to Christ. What would you say would be, there's more than one thing, but what would you tell somebody that the one thing that they need to do or that they need to learn how to do to uh, lead others to Christ? What would that one thing be? Well, I guess it would be they need to learn how to tell others what they did to become a Christian. Good. I think that is basic. Every person needs to know and, and ought to know the scriptures. And you don't have to wait till you know everything to try to teach somebody else. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm finding that new converts are some of the best people to lead others to Christ because they've got the zeal and they're not bogged down with a lot of things. So learn to explain to somebody what you did to become a Christian and don't feel like you've got to know everything before you start teaching. Well, that's a powerful one right there. Too many people do that. Uh, that's like, yeah, I use that illustration. If somebody's new on a job, uh, they know it's going to take a while before they, uh, they learn that task and people are patient with them and to teach them whatever it might be that they're doing. Uh, but somehow people get that in their mind. I think Satan plants that thought. Well, you can't do that. You're not qualified. You're not old enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough degrees or whatever. And we listen to that self-talk in our head, that negative talk, and it, it can affect us. But yeah, to be able to tell people why we did what we did is, uh, as the scriptures say, that's, that's, that's the powerful thing. Well, brother, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, would you be willing to share your contact information? Sure. What, sure. What, 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 what is that? Uh, email would be lowercase rlb612 at aol.com. rlb612 at aol.com. Incidentally, you're, you're a success story yourself because you uh, didn't grow up uh, knowing the truth, but you obeyed the gospel and you've been faithful all these years. And that's an encouragement to me, too. Well, thank you. And it's because of uh, getting off on a good start with people like you and all the others. Uh, I've told the story so many times of all the ones there in Owensboro uh, that helped me and, and encouraged me and from different professions, you know, teachers, coaches, uh, uh, insurance people, uh, <laughs> doctors, uh, all, all the people that uh, and then gay. Uh, obviously, I, I mean, that's the first time I ever went to the church was uh, with Gay. Yeah, I appreciate uh, so much your encouragement and I appreciate your faithfulness over the years and all the work that you've done and uh, uh, and keep it up. You know, I, we, yeah, I know we're, you're almost 78 and I'm 75, but God didn't, he didn't send Moses out till he was, he was 80, right? Moses, right. he just got, st so you see, you're, you got two years and you're just going to get started. Yeah, I'd like to look at it that way. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, listen, thanks so much. And uh, uh, I'll be following up with you. And uh, but thanks so much for doing this today. And uh, we really we love you and appreciate all that you've done. Well, thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure being on. Give my love to your family. Thank you so much. Melt my heart and fill my life. 
give me one soul today.